0: Do me a favor, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take a break from John this week, and we'll be in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through to 42. You might have caught this yesterday, that yesterday was Ash Wednesday. It was the beginning of the season of Lent for those who follow the church calendar, the Christian year, which is something that we sort of loosely follow as a ministry. We normally do Advent and then we'll, we'll do Easter and Christmas, which are all parts of the church calendar. And last year we did Lent. This year we're not, but maybe you're doing it on your own, which I actually think would be a good and helpful thing for you. I actually grew up in a tradition in which we followed the, the whole of the church calendar. I grew up in... It was called the Episcopal Church. And as a kid, I absolutely hated everything about it. Like when I was younger, the only thing that I remember about going to church on Sunday mornings was how much I didn't like it. And it, and it started with the fact that my parents made me wear nice clothes to go to church. And I rebelled and now wear t-shirts when I preach. Because to me, all the, the fancy like button-up clothes that, that I was supposed to wear were just really itchy. They, they felt like somebody had put itching powder in my clothes. And so I, I didn't like the clothes that I wore. I didn't like the music because it was all of these like pipe organ, Gregorian chant type things. And in retrospect, I actually kind of like pipe organ, Gregorian chant music. I listened to that like today while I was writing my sermon. But at the time as a kid, I was like, this sounds nothing like NSYNC, which is cool music because I was a kid in the 90s. And I I didn't really like the building. It looked boring. It was this old fashioned cathedral. Actually, the only thing I remember liking about the church I went to when I was a kid was the smell of the air conditioning. And that is pitiful because there are no Yankee candle scents for cathedral air conditioners. But as I got older, I, I sort of grew in my appreciation for the tradition that I grew up in. It was my uncle Chris, I believe that pointed out that that terrible stuffy cathedral that I spent all of my early Sunday mornings in was actually built in the shape of a cross as if to say that the people who gather here are people who are shaped by the cross, even when they don't recognize it, which I certainly didn't. And I think it was my mom who mentioned that whenever the gospels were read aloud as we just did during worship, the, the one who read them would actually take the Bible and walk out into the middle of the congregation as if to say that the gospel is good news for all people. The gospel comes and meets us where we are. I just figured it was some boring old ritual. I didn't realize that it meant something significant. And later on, I came to appreciate what was celebrated yesterday, Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent and Holy Week, the the Christian calendar. At the time, I had thought that that was kind of a, a silly, stupid tradition. And yet the older I've gotten, the more I've understood the logic behind that, the more I feel like it's grasping at something good. If you're if you're not familiar with the the Christian calendar, it's it's basically the series of holidays throughout the year that mark different events in the life of Jesus. And if you keep the Christian year, what ends up happening is that there's not really a season of your year that is not marked by some significant event in the life of Jesus. And so you have Advent leading up to Christmas, which sort of helps us think about the time that Israel waited for the birth of the Messiah. And then Christmas is obviously about the birth of Jesus. And then from Christmas, you go to Epiphany, which is when the, the world saw the Messiah for the first time. It's the revelation of the Messiah in the visit of the three wise men. And you move from that into something like Lent that reminds us of Jesus's 40 Days in the wilderness, fasting, and so we too fast. And then you come to Holy Week that reminds us of Jesus' last week, and Easter, which reminds us of his death and his resurrection, and on and on and on it goes. The idea behind it, though, I think is what's so important. The idea behind the Christian calendar is that if Jesus is really Lord, then he's Lord of time as well. That he's not just Lord of our... Thursday nights. He's not just Lord of our Sunday mornings, but he's Lord of every single facet of our time. And that's what the Christian year takes seriously. You know, so often as at our church here, we we use the language of surrender. I think it's kind of in our mission statement. We changed our mission statement recently. And I think I have the old one memorized, but it's something like uh, we exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. And we talk about surrender a lot, but but the the nitty-gritty of what that looks like is a lot more complicated than a catchphrase. Part of that, I think, means taking seriously what the church calendar takes seriously, that our time belongs to the Lord as well. So what does it look like for us to surrender our time to Jesus? I think that that's in some ways what Luke 10 is about. And yet I think it'll look different than what we expect. So let me just read our passage of scripture for us and we'll jump into it. It says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I realize we're kind of jumping into the middle of Luke with no context. So let me just give you a little bit of background. The passage begins by saying, while they were on their way, it's important to know that like two chapters prior, we're told that Jesus knew that his time to be lifted up was drawing near. That's probably Luke's fancy way of referring to Jesus being lifted up on the cross, lifted up from the grave, lifted up in the Ascension. And so what Jesus recognizes is that the time for his death is coming close. And so Luke says that when Jesus recognized this, he set his face towards Jerusalem. That is to say Jesus began the journey that he knew would end in his death. And while he's on that journey, we're told that he stops in this village and that a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She also has a sister named Mary. Now, we don't know if this was like a surprise visit or not. Like, I'm not really sure how Jesus would have gotten the word out unless he just had one of the disciples who could run really fast, go ahead of them and let them know. so it's it's pretty likely that Jesus sort of shows up unannounced to, to Mary and Martha's house. These are the sisters of Lazarus, you might remember from the other gospels. And Martha throws herself into this frenzy of service. We're told that she's busy with much serving. Growing up as a kid, whenever we decided to have people over to our house, whenever my parents made that decision, it was like a three-week process of us getting ready for them to show up. It was a long and detailed process. My dad would bleach all of the sidewalks that had gotten dirty. And then he would, he would pressure wash the outside of the house. And then he would mow the grass like every two days in case it grew a little unruly. And we would weed the flower beds. And my mom would clean the inside of the house to the point that it was like totally disinfected, like a hospital. And, and as kids, this was, this was kind of like our worst nightmare because our parents knew that we would ruin anything we touched. And so once they cleaned the house, when, once a room was clean, it was off limits to Travis and Justin. Like you may no longer go in this room and, until it got to the point where it's like, I know you want to brush your teeth, but you'll mess the bathroom up. So here's a water bottle and a toothbrush and you can go outside. That actually has never happened. But it was that never, that's never happened. But it was that level of like meticulous cleaning to make sure that everything was, was ready for people. And, and the impulse behind that's actually a really good thing. Right? We're, we're inviting people into our home. We want to serve them well. We want to care for them. We want to put our best foot forward. The desire there is really good and really noble, even if it meant we were quarantined for like a week before Christmas. And I, and I, I have this sort of in the back of my mind when we see what Martha does. Jesus enters into our house, probably unannounced. He just knocks on the door and there's Jesus with 12 disciples saying, Hey, we need a place to stay. I'm on my way to die. He probably doesn't say that he might though. He says stuff like that all the time and nobody seems to pick up on it. And so he he knocks on the door and she flies into this frenzy of trying to clean the house, trying to make sure that it's, it's ready, probably trying to cook food for 13 people. She's, she's busy serving the Lord as best as she knows how. She's filling all of her time with serving Jesus who's now right in front of her. She wants to put her best foot forward. She wants to honor him with her time and make sure that she gives her very best for him. And yet, do you notice how Luke describes her? He says, Martha is distracted with much serving. He doesn't say Martha is busy. He says that she is distracted. She's filled her whole afternoon with doing all of this stuff to to serve the Lord. And yet somehow Luke says that she's actually missing the point that her attention is misplaced. Here's what Luke, I think, wants to warn us with. It is entirely possible for you and I to fill all of our time with doing things for God. that that truly are intended to honor God and may indeed be things that he commands of us. And yet it's possible to fill our time in doing things for God and not have actually surrendered our time to God. Kind of got a a sense of what this looked like in the the summer of 2016. Had all these really cool opportunities here at the church. Was invited by Mark and Tom to go to Uganda and, and do some training with the pastors that we partner with over there in Village of Hope. I thought that that certainly sounds like a good use of two weeks of my summer. So yes. And I signed up for that. And the church was also offering to help me out with seminary. And I thought, well, that also sounds like a really good use of my time. So I'm definitely going to start taking classes. So yes. And then the two weeks that I got back from Uganda, Mark was out because he was on his sabbatical, I think. And so they said, Hey, do you want to preach the, the two weeks that you get back? And I was like, I mean, I, that's, I, I should surrender my time to God here. Yes. That was such a bad thing to agree to. <laughs> because as good as all of this was and, and as, as right as all of this was, I remember at the end of writing papers, traveling across the world and preaching two weeks back to, w- back, to back in Sunday morning, which is really difficult for me. Like it's not fun for me to preach on Sunday mornings. <laughs> It stresses me out. And two weeks back to back, I remember uh, our whole staff deciding to to go to a a new Cuban restaurant that had opened up. And everybody's like eating and laughing and carrying on back and forth. And I'm sitting at the end of the table with my coffee con leche glaring at them. (laughs) Like, oh, isn't life fun for you? (laughs) You're not jet lagged and totally exhausted and can't even see straight anymore. And there was this, there was this, bitterness and this anger there. Like I began that month thinking, look at all the things that I'm going to do for God. Look at how I'm going to serve him with my time. And I ended that month more or less hating everything. And as I was sitting there at this restaurant, bitter, sipping my coffee, it occurred to me that in all of the time that I'd spent doing things for God, I couldn't actually remember the last time that I just spent praying. I I, I couldn't actually remember the last time that I had opened the Bible to study it without knowing I had to preach it on Sunday morning. I'd done all of this stuff for God. I had poured myself out in in the most exhausting sense possible. And yet I had spent almost no time at the feet of Jesus. In In the midst of what I thought was this incredible season of me sort of surrendering my time to the Lord. What I found is that I looked a whole lot more like Martha than Mary. And so maybe you heard at the beginning of this that we were going to talk about what it looks like to surrender our time to, to the Lord, what, what it was going to look like for us to be devoted in not just Sunday mornings or Thursday nights, but what it was going to look like to really present our time before God. And, and maybe what you assumed that meant is that I was going to tell you that you should sign up for more missions trips and you should spend more time doing evangelism and you should serve in more ministries here at our church. And and hear me when I say like, all of that is good And, and all of that is important and all of that is necessary. But the story of Martha and Mary warns us of this before we surrender our time to serve the Lord, we actually have to surrender time to just be with the Lord. So so let let me offer what might be a really sort of cliche youth group question for you. The sort of thing that you hear and you go, yeah, that's for high school ministry or middle school ministry. But I think it's an important diagnostic. Reflecting on like the last month or two of your life, how often have you actually just spent in prayer when it wasn't required by a church service? Like theoretically, you could check the box and say, I prayed tonight, Corey led me in prayer. But when it wasn't required of you, when was the last time that you actually prayed? Just sat at your kitchen counter or at your desk and spent time before the Lord in prayer. If you can count on one hand, the number of times that you've done that in the last month, but you've lost track of the number of places that you're serving, then something might be out of sync. Maybe as much time as you've spent doing things for God, you haven't really surrendered your time to him. And here's here's what's important to say, because so often people paint Martha in this story as the villain. Like, look at all the terrible stuff that Martha's doing. Martha's not wrong. Like Martha is not doing something bad. She's just missed what's best. It's not that that Martha is, is wrong in what she's doing. She's just gotten things backwards. The logic of the gospel, it's never do and then be. Rather, it's be and then do. It's not do all of these things for God so that you can be near to him, but rather it's draw near to the Lord and serve him out of the overflow of time spent in his presence. Martha hasn't chosen something wrong. She's just bypassed what's best. She's thrown herself into serving Jesus without actually being with Jesus. of course, Martha is absolutely furious about this whole situation. And you can, you can imagine how this goes. Like Jesus shows up and she kind of freaks out a little bit and then she starts cooking and she starts cleaning and she notices that everything's going a little bit slower than it normally does. And then she looks up and she sees her sister sitting next to Jesus, not helping. And she gets madder and madder and madder. And you can like, in my head, I see her like just glaring at her while she washes the dishes And then she finally takes the rag over her shoulder and throws it and then smashes two dishes. And it's like a record scratch and everybody turns and looks at Martha. (laughs) And then she yells at Jesus. I mean, I assume she yells. It sounds like she's yelling. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. This is the astounding thing. She calls Jesus Lord and then she tells him what to do. She says, "Lord, master, here's what you should be doing." Which just sort of underscores the fact that she is in the in like the throes of maybe a bit of an emotional crisis. She doesn't realize that there's a contradiction in what she's saying. "Lord, I know what's best." But she asks this question, and it's it's a it's a fair question from her perspective. Don't you care? do you not care that my sister is not helping me? And you can tell from Jesus's response that he does, even when she doesn't feel like it. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Can, Can I just say that if you spend all of your time doing things for God without first spending time in the presence of God in prayer and Bible study and gathering together around the table, if all of your time is spent doing things for God at the neglect of being with God, you will find yourself sitting at the table over your coffee con leche, anxious and troubled and bitter about many things. There's a, I guess a, a mental health disorder that a lot of people struggle with that has been brought to light lately called seasonal affective disorder. I know quite a few people who I love who, who wrestle with it. And what it essentially is rooted in is that in the winter months, it gets colder, except in Florida, maybe. And because it's colder, people spend more time inside. And in spending more time inside, the, the lack of sunlight actually starts to affect your, your mood because sunlight is one of these things that contributes to the way that our, our brain functions in, in a healthy sense. And so people start to struggle with things like depression and anxiety, especially in the winter months, these things start to spike because people are out of the sun. One one of the treatments that is suggested is something called a light box, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's not a TV. I guess you could call a TV a light box, but but this is just a box that projects UV light. And so one of the treatments for this is people are wrestling with it, especially people like way North in Alaska, where it's, it's like night for months on end, is that in the morning that they sit in front of a light box that projects the UV light onto their face. And it's one of these things that helps with, with the, the ups and downs that come from being out of the sunlight. And, and there's this sort of, Reality that exists there that I think underscores the reality that we are meant to, to live in as Christians. is at that time, that 30, 40 minutes spent in front of the light in the morning, it is the grounds for everything else they do. It's, it's the grounds for, for the, the emotional health that's necessary to carry on through the day. And in the same way, we as Christians were meant to spend time in the presence of the Lord so that we can go and serve him well. Not serve him unto exhaustion, so that somehow we'll be closer to God as we're weary and tired and bitter. And this is what Martha has missed. She's she's gotten things out of order, but Mary hasn't missed that. Mary hasn't missed this reality. And so Jesus turns his attention to Mary who's sitting at his feet. And he says this, Mary has chosen the good portion. It will not be taken away from her. I think that's, that's really an, an astounding thing is, as Jesus sort of talks to Martha and her anxiety and her, her weariness and why won't, why won't my sister help me? He, he looks at Martha and he says, you're anxious and you're troubled and your sister got it right. You, you missed the point, but she gets it. She has chosen what Jesus calls the good portion which is to sit at his feet in his presence. And he makes this astounding promise. He says that it won't be taken from her. That this choice will never be taken away from her. The the nature of life is such that there are all sorts of things vying for our time. There's all sorts of things asking us to give of our time. And that's not a bad thing. Living life requires that you invest time in all sorts of things. And yet in almost every facet, there is no guarantee that that investment will not return void. There's no guarantee. Like maybe you're in college right now and you are diving headfirst into making sure that you get the best grades possible and you are busting your tail to make sure that you're a 4.0 student so that you can get the greatest job Can I tell you that no matter how much time you spend on your grades, there's no guarantee that you'll end up with anything to show for it other than a diploma, which costs the university 20 cents to produce cost you $40,000 in years of your life. You can invest all of this time with no guarantee that it will amount to anything. I don't say that to dissuade you, but it's appropriately humbling. Or maybe you're, you're, working a job and and your goal is to build up that 401k so that you've got the money to retire. Can I tell you retirement's not looking great for our generation? Sorry. And and as much money as, as you invest and as much time as you spend trying to accumulate wealth, we're all only five to 10 bad financial decisions away from all of it being taken away from us. It's gone like that. or or, or that romantic relationship that you're investing all of this time in, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that it'll last. I pray that it does. I really, really do. Jesus says that this time spent at his feet, this is the one thing which will not be taken away. That is the only investment that does not return void. That cannot be lost. I saw this a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, my, my grandma on my mom's side, my, my Yaya, whose full Greek name is Artemisia Demopolis, was this woman of incredible skill in so many different areas. Like she was really, really good at sewing. I'm sure she spent a lot of time getting good at sewing. She was good enough that my mom didn't need to buy clothes the first few years of her life. My grandma just made them. Like, what do you want? Okay, I can make that. Just crazy, unbelievable. Uh, She was phenomenal at cooking. And I'm sure spent a ton of time getting to be really good at cooking. Like we've gone through some of her recipes and they are meticulously detailed. I can't really read it because her handwriting's in cursive and I lost that skill years ago. But you can tell that she invested all of this time going through her library. there were all these books on her favorite card game, which is called Bridge, which I don't understand. Pokemon and Magic the Gathering make so much more sense to me. But she invested a ton of time in that, like a ton of time. And yet as, as the years went on and as she, as she battled with dementia, all of these things that she invested all of this time in, slowly they started to go away as, as her, her memory started to slip, sewing didn't come as easy. And cooking sort of became something that she couldn't do. And I couldn't tell you the last time that she played bridge. All of these things, all of this time, gone. Here's the one thing that my grandma did not lose as the years went on. It was the prayers that she prayed in the time that she spent at the feet of Jesus. That was the one thing that stayed until the very last week. So that, so that you could say, give us grateful hearts, our father. And she would go for these and all thy mercies and make us mindful of the needs of others through Christ Jesus, our Lord Amen. Or you could say our father who art in heaven and immediately hallowed be thy name, that kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These were the only things that stayed until the end. Jesus says to Martha, you're doing a lot of stuff for me and that's good, but here's what's necessary that you spend time with me, that you spend time in my presence. And then he makes this promise. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. It will not be taken away from her. It just won't. I won't take it from her. This is the only area in life that carries that promise. It's the only area in life worth devoting your time towards with reckless abandon. Life by its very nature, it demands that we give up our time. And that's not a bad thing, whether it's friends or family or relationships. yet Jesus says only one thing is necessary for all of the people that we spend our time with. Jesus says there's only one thing that won't be taken away. So can I plead with you that you would choose the good portion? Not that you would be Mary instead of Martha, but that you would be Mary before Martha, that you would get the order right, that you would spend time at the feet of Jesus and that you would serve him out of the overflow of that. Jesus says that that is the one thing that's necessary. So may we walk in that. Can I I pray for us? And we'll continue. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this promise that the time that we spend with you is never lost. It's never wasted. Though all sorts of other things might pass away. God help us to choose what is best and to serve you out of the overflow of that. Help us to make time to be in your presence and, and out of that Lord, I pray that we would serve you, that we wouldn't be distracted with much serving, but that we would serve you out of the abundance of your presence. Lord, we recognize that we serve you because you have served us. We love you because you love us and you serve us now as we come to the table. You give us these gifts, not because we deserve them, but because we've been made worthy through Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would give us this time now to be in your presence. Strengthen us for the week ahead. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.